This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I'd like for you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to John chapter 12. Coming to the Lord's table is very important. You know, so many times, if we're not careful, we can take for granted some of the most important things in life. We can become too familiar with things that we're not easy or willing, or we don't pay a lot of attention to some of the troubled spots things that could cause us problems in life by taking things for granted. A couple of weeks ago on a Sunday afternoon where we live, we live in the country and we live in uh, the the farmlands, so to speak, and probably about five o'clock in the evening, Gail and I, we heard this unusual thundering sound. And it was so loud, it perked us up enough to say, what is that? And then in a matter of seconds, we knew it was the sound of a helicopter. But it started to getting very close, and it started to uh, make the windows rattle. And it literally sounded like there was a helicopter landing in my backyard. I turned to her and I said, what have you done? But literally, right behind my house, there there is a big field, and a gentleman has a a horse ranch type of a thing. And literally, there was a helicopter that landed almost in my backyard. It landed in his pasture. And then we saw police cars, and then we saw the ambulance. And it was apparent that something terrible had happened. We didn't know exactly at first what it was, and we were there close enough to to watch it unfold as if you were watching something on the 6 o'clock news. We didn't know exactly at the moment, but within a few hours, it was on Facebook, it was on the news and so forth, a young man, traveling on our back country roads, had taken a curve way too fast, flipped his automobile, threw him out of the windshield, and he landed on the pavement. And they were doing everything they possibly could to stabilize his near-fatal injuries. And in all of the things that we were watching... One of the things that struck us the most is that when this helicopter took off, it did not do it in a very fast speed. The police cars turned their lights off. Cars rolled out. The helicopter just slowly took off, and we we realized that whatever the problem was, it was over. And what had happened is that this young man 
had taken that country road for granted, had taken those curves for granted. And where we live, you have to very constantly pay attention, not only for other cars, but for wildlife, deer, and all kinds of things. You, you have to be alert. But this young man took that curve, that country road, far too for granted. Ultimately, it cost him his life. And I got to think about that just for a few moments when we get to this passage about the triumphal entry. You know, sometimes we can take things so familiar and not just where I live, but you can take roads where you live. You know, I was doing a study a couple of years ago, and it was about fatalities on on highways and roads. And one of the things that I found out is that there was a high percentage of people who were killed within a mile of their house. Traveling the same road every day, but taking something for granted. Taking that tree you just really couldn't see that far beyond and taking it for granted that nothing was coming. People get distracted on the phone, texting, whatever it is they do on the road and take things for granted. Take that yellow light for granted. Take so many things for granted and stop being alert in the ways that we should. And I got to thinking about that in broader terms. You know, it's possible, those of you that are married here today, if you're not careful, you can start taking your relationships for granted. You can take your husband for granted. You can take your wife for granted. And believe me, when those kind of things start trickling into your relationship, fatal things can take place. But not only that, those of us who are married and we have children or you have, you're a single parent, whatever the case may be, you have children. Listen, you can be so obsessed with making money, projects, hobbies. You can be so obsessed with that kind of thing and take your kids for granted and think they're small and the years will just creep by like a turtle crossing the road. And you may think you have all the time in the world to spend with your kids. I will tell you, don't take that time for granted. Because in the blink of an eye, the nest will be empty. And so these are just a few examples of how easy it is to take important things that make differences in our life for granted. And if we're not careful, we can do that as believers. We can do that as Christians as well. In fact, I think there's a danger in the Easter season that we can take some of the things that we do at this particular time of the year, and if we're not careful, we can take some of the most important events of the Easter season for granted. And so one of them is what we're going to be talking about today, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We could take the crucifixion for granted. We could take the resurrection for granted. But I believe in a sermon like this or a service like this, I want to try just for a moment to take Palm Sunday in observation with a fresh pair of eyes.
and maybe consider some things about this that we're not overly familiar with, something that we're not taking for granted, and let God speak to our hearts in this personal way. And so if you have your bulletin here, I want to speak very quickly on three things about the triumphal entry, but I'm going to read for you in John chapter 12, verse 12 through 19. So they'll get the scriptures on the screen, and I want you to follow along with me as I read. On the next day, and this is talking about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Some of you just went to the Holy Land with me. We're just returning, and uh, we, we had a marvelous time, and a lot of what we're talking about today, we have witnessed the path with our own eyes. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Imagine the difference that would make on planet earth today if that were still the case. Wouldn't it be amazing if we came to church today with, with the testimonial and the praise, the lifting up of holy hands, walking in the house, saying, thank God Almighty, the world has gone after him. Well, in one way, the world has gone after him, but it's not in the glorious way that we would hope for. They have gone after him in the vileness of persecutions. I want you to notice three things about Palm Sunday today that perhaps you can look at with fresh eyes and not take for granted. First of all, the triumphal entry was so out of the ordinary for Jesus. And by that, I mean this. Jesus was so used to being present and working behind the scenes being out in the forefront really wasn't what he started out to do. He, he always, in the beginning of his earthly ministry, he always avoided the spotlight. For example, in John chapter 2 and verse number 4, when he was about ready to perform the first miracle of his earthly ministry, notice what Jesus said. I don't have time to go into all the background and thoughts and the conversations, but this part... I want to say, because it leads me to my point, Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? You know, they were running out of, out of the wine at the, at the wedding, and Jesus was about ready to perform his first miracle. But he says this, mine hour is not yet come. Jesus was busy working behind the scenes. The spotlight of his ministry, his earthly ministry, was not 
yet to be seen. And I emphasize the spotlight. For example, in John chapter 6 and verse number 15, the word says this, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So people, when they were ready to exalt him and make him a king, the scripture says he left town. And then there's a scripture in Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 through 16. When he was, uh, and I want to start with this uh, in Matthew 12, verse 9. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. Verse 10. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a counsel against him and that they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, look at this. He withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. And look at this. And charged them that they should not make him known. So the point is this. When the triumphal entry of Jesus was taking place, it was out of the norm. It was out of the ordinary. Because up until this point, everything he was doing, he was doing in the background. My hour has not yet come. He left town. He said, listen, this miracle, don't tell anybody. It wasn't his moment to step up on the center part of the stage. So when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, it was time that he now take his place on the pedestal of center stage. So the first thing here, and I don't want us to get so stagnant with this triumphal entry thing that we take it for granted, we have to remember that it was so much out of the ordinary for Jesus. He was used to working behind the scenes in the early days of his ministry as it began. But the second thing was this. Not only was it out of the ordinary, but number two, it was organized by Jesus. Jesus himself was the one that put this thing together. Look at Luke chapter 19, and I want to read verse 28 through 38 with you. When he had thus spoken, he went up before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village against over against you, and the which at entering you shall find a colt tied whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him and bring him thither. Okay, now I want to stop and say this. Jesus is organizing this entire thing. He's giving his disciples clear instructions. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. So Jesus is putting it together. Verse 31, and if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent away or went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. 
And they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. When he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so Jesus had sent two of his disciples from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, to a certain village, to get a certain colt that had never been rode before. They brought the colt to Jesus And you think about this. This wasn't a spur-of-the-moment thing. This wasn't just happening randomly. Jesus organized this whole thing. It was gloriously planned out. And why was that? If you go back to John chapter 12 and look at verse number 23, the word is clear. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come. See, at one point in the wedding, he said, My hour is not yet come. But now, as Jesus takes his place, center stage, in the spotlight, he is saying, now it's time. It's time for me to be in the spotlight. The hours come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And so God's will that the crucifixion would take place during the time of the Passover, a time when the sacrifice was made, But here's another important thing. Jesus wanted to emphasize when he said, my hour has come. Jesus wanted to stress to the people that I am going to the cross voluntarily. My hour's here. Now I've come. I want to do the works of my father that sent me. He has sent me to be the sacrifice for the world. My hour has come. And I'm going to fulfill the father's will. So Jesus was going to the cross voluntarily, knowing What was in front of him? He was going to face betrayal and humiliation, suffering, rejection, and death. But he willingly came. It was his time. It was his hour. And that's what he was letting the world know, that he was not going to be a victim, but he was going to be the victor. And number three, not only was this out of the ordinary for Jesus, not only was it organized by Jesus, but it was the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9, they will get this scripture here on the screen quicker than you can turn, but look at these words. A prophecy. A prophecy written 750 years nearly before Jesus went to the cross. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Lowly, but look at this. And riding upon an ass and upon a colt, a foal of an ass. This is what Jesus told his disciples to do. Go to the village, find this animal, bring him back. But you see, Zechariah, over 700 years before Jesus told the disciples to do that, the prophet had prophesied this. So what Jesus was doing, he was fulfilling Bible prophecy. When the prophet Zechariah spoke these words, Israel had no king. The people were just returning to Israel out of their Babylonian captivity. And so Zechariah was prophesying the coming of a king that would be greater than David, be greater than Solomon, would be greater than Hezekiah, would be greater than Josiah. So this morning, as we think about the triumphal entry of Jesus, let's try to look at it through some fresh eyes and not take this story for granted.
Also on this Sunday, we come to the Lord's table. And I'd like for you to take your Bibles real quickly here as we change the pace just a little and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to explain some things to you about the Lord's table. Probably the verse that I want to start with in this chapter is verse number 26. And hopefully and prayerfully I can clear up maybe some confusion of perhaps uh, denominational barriers or ideologies. Or You see, communion is not something that we rigidly have to do every week, every month, every by quarter or whatever. Because the word says this, as often as you do it. It doesn't say specifically how often you do it, but when you do it. There are some very important elements. The Lord's Supper, communion, is one of two ordinances of the local church. Jesus gave this divine instruction, and he said this, I want you to do this until I return. The other is following the Lord and believers' baptism. But he said this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show or demonstrate the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. And so this morning, I want to let you know ahead of time that there is no alcohol in the cup. And the bread that you will take this morning is uh, authentic unleavened bread. It's a little crunchier than typical uh, that we've done in the past. Uh, and so um, we have had this made um, and this, Gail made this, and so uh, it's a little crunchier than, than normal, but it's authentic unleavened bread. And the word says this, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, how does a person take communion unworthily? Unworthily. Because when you, the, the consequence of this is in verse uh Number 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So obviously communion is for believers. This is not, this is not an ordinance for unbelievers, but for believers. And a person can take communion unworthily a couple of ways. One, if you're not a believer, you, you really should let this part of the service slip by you for a moment. The other way is this. You can take communion unworthily if you have unconfessed sin in your life. We all have sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The scripture says there's none righteous in Romans 3. No, not one. All of our sins are as filthy rags, the prophet Isaiah said. So all of us sin. So here's the thing. If we're not a believer, I would encourage you to give your heart to Jesus. Don't leave this building today in the void of your soul. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Your soul is the most important thing you have. And if we have unconfessed sin, all of us do, we're going to do what verse number 28 tells us to do. In just a moment. But let a man examine himself. 
And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. That word, examine himself, that means this. In just a moment, these, these lights will be dimmed and our deacons will come forward and help me to administer the Lord's Supper to you. We will bring it to the pew. They will pass out the bread. And once everybody's been served, I will bless it and then we'll all take it. Then they will come and help me pass out the cup. Once everybody's been served and has the cup in their hand, I will bless it and we will take it together. But prior to that, we're going to let these lights be dim. Brother Adam will softly play some music of meditation and give us an opportunity that whatever's wrong in our heart and our life, that we confess it to the Lord, that we make ourselves clean vessels that we can partake of the Lord's table in a worthy manner. And that is this. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, here's the beauty of the blood. There is no sin greater than the blood. Where sin abounds, Grace did much more abound. So there is no sin that God cannot forgive. If we confess it, He can forgive it. And then here's the thing. When we as a church, Acts chapter 2 talks about this very specifically. When the people were in one accord, the Bible says, and God added, daily to the church, such as should be saved. Now, here's the thing. If we as a church come together in a time like this and we confess our sins, not to one another, you don't need a priest. You got a high priest. And you can confess your sins to our great high priest, whatever they are, according to the word, the blood of Jesus, will make you clean. And think about this. If we as a church come together and we take of the Lord's table, doing exactly what the word says, how the word says, when this service is over, we all walk out of these doors in one accord. And think what God can do with unity. Wow, that's imperative to understand. So, I'm going to ask our deacons to come and prepare this church for the Lord's table. And I do pray that these moments that we share together be life-changing. We not take this for granted. Jesus said, do this until I come. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.